to the Classic City Sports Podcast. And McAllister down the left field line! You're looking for the latest Georgia Bulldog news in football, basketball, baseball, and recruiting, then you are in the right place. Then you are in the right place. It's third down, Bryce Young's career. You need 10, play clock at four. From the pocket, launching downfield, underground, and intercepted. Kaylee Ringo has an escort down the sidelines. Hosted by Jeremiah Stoddard and Jonathan Williams. Georgia on the mountaintop. Demons be gone and the drought is over. National champions at long last. Just sit back, relax, and prepare yourself for these hot takes you're about to listen to. All right, welcome back to another episode of Classic City Sports. As always, Jeremiah Stoddard and Jonathan Williams. We've got a good one for you today. I know there's a lot of speculation and conversation about Georgia's first uh, SEC game performance against South Carolina. So we are going to jump straight into that today. And that's pretty much what we're going to focus on. Uh, Not really much to talk about for next week. It's UAB, so you know, not really going to pregame that one. We're going to just focus on yesterday, uh, Georgia versus South Carolina, and what went wrong, what Georgia can do better, and all of that is what we're going to focus on. So, Jonathan, uh, first of all, how are you doing today? And then secondly, uh, how are you feeling as 24 hours have passed and we see what Georgia's first SEC performance was? Uh, As of today, I'm doing good. I've had the most ideal Sunday ever, just sat on my couch all day and I've watched NFL football. I think that's the most ideal way to spend Sunday, especially after a Saturday of packed in of college football. Typically a lot more going on, especially for me with college football as opposed to NFL Sunday. So enjoying that. But after 24 hours of the game, you know, I think, of course, just like anybody else, you know, it's it's how you feel about a game right after it finishes compared to how you feel about a game 24 hours later, I think can be night and day, especially in a game like this. Obviously the first half, not great. Anybody can tell you that. I mean, that's just a fact The first half you're down 14 to three going into halftime. No one's feeling great in that scenario, but I think it's the best thing for Georgia is that they were able to finish it off on a high note in the second half. You kept South Carolina scoreless. You really, um, rattled Spencer Rattler Um, you got to him the defensive line did its job defense stepped up did their part so all in all you know first SEC game obviously the game didn't go as many expected with it being like a 27 point favorite for Georgia they didn't cover that but it's your first conference win of the season that's what matters and you got out there with a dub and great teams find a way to win in those scenarios and that's exactly what Georgia did and they continue their win streak and extend it to 20 wins in a row so like not a whole lot to complain about but still yeah a lot of takeaways that I'm sure we'll dive into right now. Yeah. F- uh, first of all, 20 game win streak is longest in college football as of right now. Uh, so they kept that going. They are three and zero on the season, one and zero in the SEC. And so I think when you, when you step back and look at it overall, yeah, there were some problems. But when we look at the week three college football slate across the board, every decent team 
had a problem yesterday. Yeah, most of them won their games. You know, FSU was a two-point game against Boston College. Colorado, which they're not in the top top, but everyone's been looking at them. Colorado went to second overtime against Colorado State, a team that is a lesser talent than them. Alabama uh, was 10-7 to late into the fourth quarter and ended up winning 17 to, or I'm sorry, uh, 10 to three, I think is what it was. 10 to three. Um, it was like a seven point final. Yeah. The final score was 17 to three, but going into the fourth quarter or mid into the fourth quarter was 10 to three. So it was a seven time was three to three. Yeah. So they severely struggled against that team. They can't seem to figure out what they're doing at quarterback. They went Mm -hmm. through three different quarterbacks at this point, none of them really looking the part for Alabama. So they still got a lot to figure out there. Tennessee went down to the swamp in in, uh, Gainesville, Florida. Mm -hmm. They've got their butt kicked in that game. Uh, Just across the board, teams that you expect to be good and think are good struggled yesterday. So I don't think Georgia fans should be be panicking based on a not-so-great performance in that game. And and that's exactly what it was. It wasn't a great performance, but it wasn't a terrible performance when it's all said and done. You got a double digit win against a conference opponent. And we on here talked about this prior to the show. This is a game that I told you could be a, a, a better game, a sleeper underrated opponent that you're playing against. And now after they lost to North Carolina, I might've thought it was a little bit bigger of a score difference in this game. But when you really look at it and, and you look at two missed field goals, some drives that were ended because of a penalty, that kind of thing, more points should have been put on the board for Georgia. Legitimately six points because of missed field goals. So it should have been a 30 to 14 game, which is a, a lot, a little bit more comfortable, right? Like you get a 16 point win, you would feel a lot better about that game. You miss those field goals, you end up with a 10 point win against a conference opponent. At the end of the day, you're 1 and 0 in the SEC, and that's all that matters. Yeah, I think what South Carolina showed yesterday is just how big of a difference a really good quarterback can make for a team. Because let's be honest, South Carolina in totality, not exactly the best team. That offensive line is not very good. The defense has its up and downs. Spencer Rattler is what keeps that team afloat, and he's what basically get that team out to a 14-3 lead going into halftime. And based on what you were just talking about with Alabama, Tennessee, basically everybody else that was going on in the conference, like it could, it could always be worse, guys. You could be Alabama with zero answers to your quarterback room right now. When you know that you have a talented roster, you know you have the talent to compete in the SEC, but you're just not even competing against a team like USF. You have no answers in your quarterback room. You could be Tennessee, who came into the season with high expectations, expecting to compete with Georgia to win the Eastern Division to keep on building off what you did last year. And then you go into the swamp, your offense gets packed into a phone booth. You can't do anything and you come away with a loss. Like it could always be worse. Whereas Georgia, it was bad. It was bad for an entire half. And like I said, I think everybody can agree with that. One thing that one of our guys in the comments right now, Penn CFX is talking about is like, there's a lot of new pieces to this offense. And I think we're kind of seeing that with Georgia is they're still just kind of going through some growing pains. It's not something new. That's not something that we haven't seen Georgia do in the past. That's kind of what the beginning of the season is, is what it typically looks like. You know, you're going through growing pains. You're trying to figure yourselves out, especially when you have a new offensive coordinator, a new quarterback, a running back room that is still trying to figure out some answers. That, that's just how the first few weeks of college football goes. But what matters is, is that you're 3-0, and you're the number one team in the, in, in the country, and you still look like the best team in the SEC. I mean, that's the biggest takeaway for me right yeah. now. And moving forward, going into week four against UAB, there is nothing standing in this team's way right now that would make you think that they are not going to be in Atlanta at the end of the season and not be pushing for another spot in the college football playoff. 
Yeah, and especially when you look back at last year, which everyone would say was a very, very good season, right? It's 15-0 and national championship. Nobody is complaining about last year. Well, guess what? They almost lost to Missouri last year, a, a middle-of-the-pack SEC team last year. They almost lost. They were able to scratch their way back and win that game in the fourth quarter and survived another day in the SEC where you didn't have that hiccup that actually puts you behind. Because guess what? When it's all said and done, all that matters is you've got a W in that column. But let's talk about what you're focusing on right now. I don't think anyone's going to say the second half was bad, right? The second half, Georgia came out and scored 21 points and uh, had a, a missed field goal in there and just honestly looked dominant. They never looked like they were really, really struggling too much. Their defense was holding up extremely strong, had two interceptions. The second half was a very good Georgia football team. Nobody's going to argue too much with that, I would assume. The first half, there's a very key piece that I don't think people are paying attention to, and part of it goes back to the new clock rule in college football. The game clock keeps on running if you, even if you get a first down, as long if you're not out of bounds or it's an incomplete pass, the clock keeps going. So the game clock goes away a lot faster. Guess what? South Carolina and Georgia both had, well, Georgia had one possession in the first quarter. South Carolina had a second one that started in the first quarter and they finished it in the second quarter. So the entire first quarter was literally two drives and a little bit of another one. The second quarter, Georgia only had the ball twice. So Georgia went down, kicked a field goal on their first drive. Then they had to punt and then they went down and missed a field goal. So two of the three drives were successful. You should have had points in them and you should have scored, right? So three drives, two of them should have been scoring drives. That's your entire first half. I think people are not paying attention to that when they're looking at how Georgia played yesterday and when they focus on the first half. They only had the ball three times. Well, technically four, but the fourth one was with 50 seconds left in the in the half. There's not much you can do with that. So I'm not going to count it. I'm going to say they had three legitimate drives. And I think that's something that you have to focus on when you look at how Georgia played in that first half. Two of them should have been scoring drives. Yeah, and I think the one thing I would just say about that is when Georgia is getting into the red zone or the green zone this year, those th- those situations and those opportunities have to start turning into touchdowns. Let's not leave it in the hands of our kicker, our first-year starting kicker, if you will, and Peyton Woodring. Let's not leave it in his hands to make sure that we get points on the board. Let's punch it into the end zone, and he's just kicking a PT. Now, that doesn't ignore and that doesn't um, mean that your kicker isn't there isn't issues and questions with your kicker because he should by all means have made every single kick yesterday. He knows that though. And we're not going to sit here and bash a kicker on this podcast. That's not the type of business we're about. I'm sure he'll get it figured out. We've seen kickers in prior years where at the beginning of the season, things are a little shaky and then they figure things out and they get into a groove as the season progresses. But for the first half, I mean, I just, and this is the only issue that I currently have with Georgia is these slow starts on offense. They, they just can't keep happening. I mean, the first week or two, okay, I'll give you a bypass on that one. And, you know, maybe even the third week you can even say that I'll give you a bypass on this one. But the fact that it is consistently happening to where, like, you kind of get off to a slow start in the first quarter, the second quarter, and it's not until the second half where it seems like things – are clicking and you're like a well-oiled machine, the one that we think that you can be and should be every single play, that's that's a little worrisome to me because as you get down the stretch, as you get into these more important games, I don't know that that's going to fly every single time. But like that's not something that Kirby Smart and Mike Bobo don't know. And I think what they learned in the second half is that 
if you push the ball down the field, if Carson Beck trusts himself, this is something I said at halftime, was like Carson Beck has got to trust himself to put the ball in the right spot because we know that he can. He has all the arm talent in the world to put the ball in the right spots, to make the right throws, to make the right reads. We know he can do that. But you got to push down the field and you got to trust yourself like he did when he made that big throw to Rara Thomas, like he did when he was trying to push the ball right off of the turnover, trying to punch it in the end zone for six. That's what we want to see from this offense. And once they started doing that, once Carson Carson Beck was pushing the ball down the field for big chunks of plays. Then the offense kind of got rolling. And Dejon Edwards was able to spark this offense, which I think was a massive win for George on Saturday, is that you finally got an answer to that running back room because there's some major questions there. Like Kendall Milton, as much as we love him, it didn't seem like he was, at least right now, with his current health status and how he's still kind of battling back from an injury, you needed someone to step up and say, like, I'm the top dog in this room. I'll carry the load. Everybody else can do their part. Dejon Edwards answered the bell, and he did a yep. tremendous job yesterday for 20 carries and I think 116 yards something like that that's it 118 so that's a big win for you but I think if you if Georgia can focus on what they did in the second half if they can build off of that this team is going to be fine we have seen what the offense can do when they finally put it all together and that's what I think makes them so dangerous is that when they can put this offense together and they will eventually then no one I mean they're world beaters they are the best team in college football when everything's clicking yeah, they are, and I think it's going to take a little bit of time to figure that out. What Going back to what you're talking about, about the slow starts, I think the part that does bother me a little bit is the play calling early in these games. And I'm not I'm not sitting here, that's not me taking a shot at Mike Bobo as a whole, because I think overall he's doing a pretty good job and he's, he's scoring points with this offense. But what I don't like is that in the first halves of all three games at this point, the offense has not tried to stretch the field. They always They keep with the screens, the short run game, that kind of stuff, and maybe some five to ten yard passes across the middle that kind of thing that's that's basically all they're living off of they're not stretching the field down last week or yesterday there was only one play that was extended downfield and it was on the the flea flicker like the fake reverse back to Carson he threw it downfield and he threw it a little short of Brock Bowers otherwise it could have been a pretty big play but that's the only time in the entire first half that they tried to do anything downfield we talked about it we were texting about it during the game and saying if Georgia wants to come back from this, they have to come out firing in the second half. They have to try to take a shot downfield because guess what? South Carolina is playing close to the line of scrimmage. They do have a lot of guys in the box. It's going to be a long game unless you start to stretch them out. And that's exactly what they did on the first possession of the second half. They take a shot down the middle to, uh, was it Rara down the middle mm-hmm. that caught it? Yeah, so a big play on a post route down the middle, ends up scoring a couple plays later on it, moves the ball. The next drive, they start doing the same thing. They take a shot downfield to Rara once again, and it is a it's a beautiful pass. It's a good route. It just happened to be extremely good defense. It was a good ball, could have been caught, but the guy got his hand in there uh, on it as well. So you started seeing that progress, and they continue to do it the rest of the half as well, and that's why you started seeing Georgia get some momentum and get moving offensively because they weren't living in, like you say, that that phone booth, right? Like just right there in that little bitty spot, they were actually starting to do some more. So what I want to see from Georgia is in the early parts of the game, start doing that earlier, set the tempo at the beginning of the game and start trying to make sure you get downfield and score early rather than having to make a second half push to do something like that. This South Carolina team, you know, they scored on their first drive of the game. They scored another touchdown in the second quarter. They were moving the ball very, very well, and Spencer Rattler was playing extremely well in the first half. He was almost lights out, almost perfect in the first half. 
And in the second half, they started getting to him. They started getting pressure. They started getting sacks. They made him uncomfortable. He started feeling pressure, even if it hadn't quite gotten there yet. So he was forcing throws and making some not so great decisions, leading to two of those interceptions late in the game. That was another thing that I want to see from George as well. Start putting pressure on the quarterback early in that game. Make that quarterback uncomfortable from the get-go. Don't let him get settled into a groove and pick you apart in the first half like they did yesterday. Yeah, I think what the offense is going through right now is you aren't without Lad McConkey. You are without Lad McConkey. How long you're going to be without Lad McConkey, I don't know. My guess is, though, it's going to be for a little while longer. With a back issue like that, with something that can be re-aggravated, any day in, at any point in time like he is literally day to day because one moment you might be feeling great the next day you're right back to ground zero and you're kind of working your way back so I don't know how long George is going to be without Lad McConkey but what McConkey provided for this offense was he was the deep ball guy he was the explosive playmaker in this offense he was the guy that you send down the boundary line for a double move touchdown like exactly what we saw against South Carolina we saw against Tennessee last year where Georgia gets the ball back from a turnover or from the punt actually after Georgia got the safety against Tennessee but yeah. it wasn't called a safety very next play boom Lad McConkey double move touchdown you freaking lay the hammer down on them and you take advantage of that opportunity that's what Georgia tried to do against South Carolina and that's what Robert Thomas is going to have to provide for this offense and I think they answered that on Saturday Robert Thomas is the guy that can win his one-on-one battles out at the X position that's what you need what Georgia needs right now, a guy that can win his one-on-one battles, teams that want to man you up. He is your guy that has to win. And when he does that, then that's going to allow Dominic Lovett to open up over across the middle of this of the field. Or these screenplays that you want to call to Dominic Lovett, Mekhi Muse, CJ Smith, all these guys. That's what's going to open it up because the defense can no longer force up into you. They have to recognize and respect that deep ball of yours because you do have a guy like Robert Thomas that can win. And that also is going to open up the game for Brock Bowers. So I think Georgia has been trying to figure out as good as this wide receiver room is, as much depth as they have, they have been trying to find out who is going to win at that X spot. I love Marcus Rosimi Jack Saint to death, and he battles his tail off. I'm not sure he yeah. is the guy that wins at X for you, but he is going to make other big plays for you like he did against South Carolina. I think Robert Thomas is going to be the key to this offense to truly unlock it and let them be so multiple and allow them to extend the ball down the field. And then, of course, you can use your other weapons like Arian Smith, CJ Smith, all those other guys until you get Lad McConkey back. But I think people are kind of realizing now just how important, how valuable Lad McConkey is and has been to this offense. The only thing is now is you just hope that they can continue to build off what they did in the second half. Yeah, absolutely. And when you look at the overall performance from, say, like Carson Beck and those receivers early in the game, obviously you didn't get very much. But like I said, you didn't have that many possessions in the first half as a whole. So you really can't sit there and harp on the overall performance too much outside of the missed red zone opportunities and that kind of thing. You can't have that happening down the road. And I'll get into that more in just a second. But you still saw when they started opening up that the quarterback was able to throw for, I think, 269 yards, a couple touchdowns. Mm -hmm. And making plays even with his legs, he felt like he got comfortable, and they started really just flowing as a whole. But what I think really helped as well, and something that I think a lot of Georgia fans were really looking for Georgia to do this week, was run successfully, right? And that is what you got at that running back room. They ran for 170 yards as a team, 180 yards, I think, as a team, and 118 of those came from... Dejon Edwards he was a missing piece it just looked different from the past two Mm -hmm. weeks and and I'm not taking anything away from what Kendall Milton's been able to do what Roderick Robinson's been able to do Cash Jones all of those guys right they're all great running backs in their own way and what they do 
but there was something different about it. When you saw Dejon out there, he was shifty. He, he was very patient, waiting for a hole to open up, which helped with the offensive line was performing as well as they were yesterday in that run blocking, which is a honestly a huge improvement from the first two weeks as well. You didn't see guys getting hit as many times behind the line of scrimmage like they did in the past couple of weeks. But seeing him be able to make extra plays, you know, make people miss and, and make a, a play that looked like he might be tackled at the line of scrimmage, be a four-yard gain, that kind of stuff. That's what Georgia's really been missing because it keeps you ahead of the sticks. So instead of on first down becoming a second and 10 or even a second and 11, now it's a second and six because he made that play and he got you four yards and now you live to fight ahead of the sticks. That makes a huge difference for an offense and a running game is crucial for it. And it helps a young quarterback or an inexperienced quarterback rather and Carson Beck that's in his first year as a starter at Georgia, it, it takes some of the pressure off his shoulders if he knows he can gain three, four yards from his running back 20 times a game. Yeah, Kirby Smart said himself that they grade running backs based off of two things. Do you protect the football, and can you make the first guy miss? I think Dazon Edwards does the best out of that running back room at making the first guy miss. You said it You said it yourself. He looks shifty back there. That's what you kind of have to be to make these first guys miss, and that's what he did Saturday. He was constantly making positive plays, picking up yards and chunks, and was just as consistent as you need him to be. And a great debut from him in the 2020 season. Um, uh, mentioning it in the comments right now, offensive line did look good. I thought they looked better. We'll get the r- true results and the true tale of the tale when Brooks breaks it down on his offensive breakdown, and he'll let you know, did the yeah. offensive line actually play as good as it looks? I think the big thing that people are concerned now about the offensive line is, is Amarius Mims going to be okay? He got pulled out of the game, yep. looked like an ankle injury, had to hobble off, got helped into the locker room. People are anxious to see what's going on there. Hopefully he is able to go. Maybe not this week. Probably won't play him because you don't need him against a team like UAB. But hopefully he is going to be healthy as Georgia progresses into the SEC schedule. And there's no more of these cupcake games in quotation marks moving forward. You're going to need him. I mean, he's arguably the best tackle in all of college football. And you hate to lose a piece like this. So I I think that is – a. The fact that you were finally able to get some um, answers in the running back room, because that's another thing that's going to help open up this offense. And I think it's maybe why you saw some offensive struggles in the past couple of weeks from Georgia is that they weren't able to run as successfully as they have been in years past. And Kirby Smart talks about how they use screens as an extension of the run because he got asked a question about, like, how do you think the run offense has been this this year? And he's like, well, what is a run to you? He said, because a run to us is a screen. Like a screen is an extension of the run game. So I think that's why people are like, gosh, why are we throwing so many screens? Well, that's Mike Bobo and Kirby Smart using that as an extension of the run game. And why they probably call so many is because you haven't been running the ball as effectively as you had in years past. But now that yeah. you have Dave on Edwards and you did run the ball so efficiently against an SEC opponent this past weekend, maybe the offense kind of starts to get a little more outside of just, oh, my gosh, we're just throwing it to the boundary and it's like, go make a play. I think it'll start to extend and open up a little bit more. Yeah, exactly. And one thing that was a big takeaway for me, and I I hope other people saw it the same way, is you got out there and South Carolina punched you in the mouth, right? They came out swinging early. They put you on your back. You went into the locker room with an 11-point deficit. What's the difference between a good team and a championship-level team? Well, a championship-level team is going to be able to come out there and respond and not buckle under pressure while down 11 at home, but come out and instead start throwing their punches of their own and be able to go win that game by 10 points. 
that's a championship level football team. And I understand Georgia hasn't looked as good as some other people wanted to in years past. It's it's not the same team that they had the past two years. But in the past two years, Georgia's had games against Samford where they only scored 30 points. And they've had games where they've almost lost to Kent, or didn't almost lose, but had a close game against Kent State. Like, And those were championship level teams. So looking at a South Carolina, an SEC opponent, and beating them by 10 at home when you were punched in the mouth, that shows resilience. That shows Kirby Smart was able to go into that locker room and get his guys right and get them to come out and be willing to fight and believe in themselves and trust themselves, right? You got your running backs out there believing they can do it. You got Carson Beck going out in the second half, even though he didn't have a great first half, believing that he can deliver that ball down the field for a 30, 40-yard pass on a post route or, or, or a deep ball and all that kind of stuff. He had confidence in himself because Kirby had confidence in them. That's a championship level football team that you can get punched in the mouth and they're not going to knock you out. You can get back up and continue to fight. And like I said earlier, live to fight another day in the SEC. You did not take a step back because you are still undefeated as a whole and you still are one and oh in the SEC. Yeah, you know, Kirby Smart mentioned it after the game. He's like, when we got into the locker room at halftime, there was no nerves or anxiousness in that locker room. Like, there was no frustration. Everybody was just kind of calm, cool, and collected. Like, they knew that they were going to be okay. And to hear that coming out of that locker room, because that that's a that's a positive to hear. Because, you know, when you're down 14-3 to three against a team that you are a 27-point favorite against, a team that you know you should be beating, a team that you have beaten absolutely down into the ground in years past – like it is easy to get frustrated. It is easy to kind of get all out of your emotions when it, when you're in that situation like that and you are not expecting to be put in that situation to begin with. But the fact that he's like, no, everybody was okay. Like Carson Beck and the offense, they were doing fine. Like nobody was worried about what was going to happen the rest of the way. They knew what they needed to do and they got the job done. And the most importantly, they delivered a win. I actually said it before the season started. Not that I was hoping that this was going to happen or that I was trying to manifest this, but I said it on Talk the Dog. I was like, you know what? Maybe it wouldn't be so bad if Georgia played South Carolina and it was a close game and Georgia kind of had to battle back and answer the call against South Carolina because at least you go ahead and get that out of the way at the beginning of the season. At least you get that answer early in the season. You know that you have a team that can battle back when their back is kind of against the wall in a situation like that. You know the offense can put points on the board when you absolutely need them to. You know your defense can step up, shut down a good quarterback like Spencer Rattler, get the ball back for your offense and let them keep rolling. That's a that's good information no down the stretch because I guarantee you it's probably not going to be the last time and you can say what you want about South Carolina but what I am telling you is that Spencer Rattler is probably the best quarterback in the SEC right now I don't think anybody would disagree with that he is playing like the best quarterback in the SEC and you saw what Georgia did to them in the second half you saw what they did to that offense and you saw how the offense responded to them only putting up three points in the first half how you respond to those situations matter like you said that's what championship winning teams do And that's what Georgia proved on Saturday. And I think that's kind of how fans should view this. You know, if you are going to find a positive in this, know that you did walk away with that game knowing that this team can respond, they can answer the call, they can go into the second half and do what is necessary to make sure they add another win to the win column. And that's what they did. And I think that's what what fans and everybody should take away from this game. Yeah, at the end of the day, you're ringing the bell. You win the game. You get to keep moving on. You get to show some resilience. Fans should be happy about that as a whole. And I, I understand, right? We're we're Georgia fans as well. So like, we want Georgia to come out there and dominate. But guess what? I mean, they won the first two games by forty plus points. Yeah, they were playing against UT Martin and and uh, I can't even think of the second team Ball right. State. The second Ball State. So they played those two teams, right? So like, yeah, they won by 40. It's not that big of a deal. And so you expected them to come out and with a spread of 27 points, you wanted them to come out and cover that spread. But 
27 points in an SEC game. I'm here to tell you, unless it's Vanderbilt, it's a lot of points. That's that's a hard one to expect to make. Uh, and I understand that the expectations for Georgia are so high because they did win back-to-back national championships and they did beat South Carolina by like 40 points last year. I understand all of that. But knowing that you were able to walk away with it, that should be you should be happy with it. I think as far as Georgia's team as a whole goes, their defense is, is playing extremely well. You can't argue with three touchdowns over three weeks on defense. That is that is perfectly fine. You can't be that mad about that. They're it, when when the game matters, like yesterday, they were able to lock South Carolina down. South Carolina was not able to do anything in the second half after scoring two touchdowns in the first. They got nothing the rest of the game. Georgia was able to get some turnovers. They have six picks in the entire season so far through three games. So two a game at this point. That's incredible. I, I that is. Top level defense. No, they aren't quite the same defense that Georgia had in 2021, but that's going to be a hard defense for them to replicate ever. I think that's a that's a standard that you can't really hold Georgia to because that team was probably one of the most talented defenses you will ever see. On the offensive side of the ball, there are some little quirks and little issues that they can work out. But the biggest issue, they're they're still scoring points. They're still moving the ball well, right? So overall, the offense is not a bad unit it is still playing well but what makes the difference and what's going to be the difference in bigger games say you're you're playing in Knoxville against Tennessee you can't come out and play like you did against South Carolina when you're on the road in Knoxville playing against Tennessee because that is a different environment you're not at home you don't have the crowd on your side you're down you're gonna it's gonna be a tough crawl back but what you have to do when you get into games like that you have to score when you get in the red zone you cannot be missing field goals you cannot be settling and having your offense stall when you get inside the 20 or inside the 10 like Georgia was doing the past couple of weeks at this point that is my biggest concern for Georgia is when they get into the red zone because they've been doing it a lot they're settling for field goals then they're missing field goals you cannot leave points on the on the on the field without being able to convert them that is what is going to make the difference in Georgia's season they have got to figure that out but guess what that is something we've talked about over the past two seasons with Georgia as well. I believe in 2021, that was something they had a big issue with as well, but it ended up being able to convert. And what they were able to do that kind of helped that is, guess what? They started getting more explosive plays, and they scored before they got into the 20 a lot. So that kind of helped alleviate it. They've got to find their identity on offense and make sure they do not stall once they get back inside that 20. That is going to be key for Georgia moving forward. And, you know, there's this thing called the peak end rule effect, you know, I think what, and this is kind of, I think what some fans are falling victim to is they remember the end of the Todd Munkin run at Georgia. They remember what the offense looked like at the end of his tenure as a Bulldog. You know, they remember Georgia's offense against Ohio State. They remember them putting up 65 points against TCU. They remember them being super explosive against Tennessee in his last year at Georgia. But I don't think a whole lot of I don't think people really remember what this offense looked like in 2020 and then also the growing pains that they had to go yeah. through in 2021 as well. And I think that's kind of what Georgia's going through and like people immediately want to say like, "Oh, well, last year this is the offense looked so much better with Todd Munkin." Well, yeah, he was in year 3, Stetson Bennett was in his second full like two, second and a half full year of being the starter at Georgia. Like that's very different compared to the situation that Georgia is in now where you have a brand new starting quarterback, a guy that is starting for the first time this season since 2019 when he was in high school and an OC for the first time at Georgia. And I mean, it's his first year 
as an offensive coordinator for Georgia this year. So like, that's a lot of change to go through and growing pains are going to happen. And I think people are so quick to forget like the transitions that Georgia's offense went even under Todd Munkin. It takes a little bit of a while for things to kind of build themselves together. I don't care what you say about how many reps they get in the offseason. I don't care what you say about Georgia goes up against the number one defense in the country every single day at practice. Yes, that all of that is true. But it doesn't matter until – like in-game situations are so different compared to what you see at practice against your own defense. You know, it is so different, such a different feel. It's such a different environment. So you're in week three of that. You go into week four. Uh, you know, UAB is kind of what allowed Georgia to really get on track in 2021. Maybe that's exactly what happens this weekend in week four against UAB for Georgia. A night game environment and electric, and the uh, the fans are going to be excited for that. It's going to be a it's going to be a great energy in Sanford Stadium. So that's a plus. Maybe this is the game where Georgia is able to finally get things rolling. This is the game that we say, hey. That's when Georgia turned the corner in 2023, and that's what really allowed them to get things rolling, get things clicking, and that's what allowed them to go undefeated in the regular season once again. So I'm just saying continue to be patient. I'm not saying be patient all the way up until the SEC championship game. If it continues to look like this all the way up until then, then, yeah, we have some right – you have a right to be worried about some things. But for now, until you c- continue to progress in this year, just continue to be patient with this offense because I think they are showing signs of figuring things out and that's what I think that's kind of what they showed in that second half of South Carolina. They figured out kind of who they are offensively. Yeah, they definitely figured it out in that aspect. But what I'll say to Georgia fans as well is you have time to continue to figure it out this season as well. You Like you just said a second ago, UAB is next week. The week after that is Auburn. You, I think Kentucky mixes in there uh, early on. So you've got some some games that are not easy, easy opponents, but you're not getting into the heart of your schedule until November because November is when you really do have to have it figured out because you've got to go on the road to Knoxville and play Tennessee. You do have Ole Miss coming into town. you got to be able to take care of business there. Like Those two games are when you've really got to be clicking. And so you've got some time to be able to figure it out to where you might be able to, yeah, one of these teams like Auburn could come out on the road. Jordan-Hare Stadium is not an easy place to play, so mm-hmm. they could come out and swing early in that game. So it's not one that you got to panic right away. They'll give them time to be able to figure it out in that game and get comfortable and get moving. All I'm saying is you've got some time as far as where the strength of this schedule really is. It's not till November, and that that's when you got to be ready to go. So right now, it's okay to see them figuring some stuff out. Let your quarterback get comfortable. Like you said, he hasn't started a game since 2019 in high school. It's going to take him a little bit of time to get confident. And yeah, they play Georgia every day. But guess what? When you play the same people every day, even if they are as talented as Georgia's defense, you know what you're going up against, right? You you ha- you know the style of defense they play. You know what those players like to do. You get kind of used to dealing with them. You go up against a South Carolina team, you don't know what they do. You haven't played them this year. You don't know what their identity is going to be. It's going to be different players that you don't get to see. So it is different. Even though you play against a very good defense every day in practice, it's not the same as playing against somebody else because you don't know what they do every day, uh, down in and down out. And that's what the difference is in these games you got to be able to figure that out on the fly. And this offense is a little inexperienced with, well, not inexperienced, but kind of newer right now because you've got Brock Bowers, yes. But guess what? Dejon Edwards is just now back this year. So your running back room has been kind of iffy. And then your wide receivers, your two main targets right now have been transfer wide receivers. So they're new to the program. And you've got your best wide receiver or your most experienced on the team wide receiver that's been hurt the whole time is still not playing. Yeah, you have Brock Bowers, but you can't throw it to Brock Bowers every single play. You've got to be able to stretch it out. So there's a lot for them to figure out as a unit. 
And I think you've got time to do it. That's all I'm saying. No, I mean, Georgia has the perfect schedule for the situation that they were in. I, I think that was something we talked about at the beginning of the season. It's like, you know, for a team that is starting a brand new quarterback, for a team that does have a new offensive coordinator this season, and a team that will have to kind of figure some things out offensively and figure some things out defensively, what better schedule to have than UT Martin, Ball State, South Carolina, UAB, your first four games all at home? That is the prime situation to have as a team that is going through those current situations. And then by the time week five rolls around and you are traveling down to Auburn in a hostile environment, hopefully you have figured out all your questions. You have worked out all the kinks and you are in a much better place in week five than you were in week one. And I think Georgia is on track to do that. And I think you this you I think that's what I'm most excited about for UAB this Saturday is is this the weekend where Georgia kind of finally puts everything together. And they start tapping into that ceiling a little bit that we know that they are capable of reaching into and what we know that they are capable of doing on the field because the defense has been the defense this year. I think the secondary has lived up to the hype. The defensive line, when they had questions, I think they more than answered that. Michael Williams is an absolute freak. He has been doing the most for that yes, front has. seven group. Jamon Dumas-Johnson and Samal Munden, we get the first look at them as a duo in totality this weekend against South Carolina. They played great. I mean, the defense has all the answers in the world, and they have all the talent in the world to keep you in every single football game that you will play in. Now it's just time for the offense to finally put everything together, kind of weave their way, sitch their way to a smooth sailing victory, and just kind of finally put four quarters of a football game together and play like we know that they are capable of. Yeah, absolutely. And I know we're going to wrap this show up real quick, but we've been focusing so much on the offense as a whole. I, I want to focus on a couple of the players, too, that like – they really need to be highlighted from this game yesterday on defense was first of all, Kamari Lasseter was playing like he was like his hair was on fire. I mean, he was making tackles on those screen plays behind the line of scrimmage. He was breaking up passes left and right and making big plays in all aspects of the game. So that's number one. Yeah. Dan Jackson, who made a nice interception late in the game to be able to keep South Carolina when they were moving the ball on you. Once again, you get a turnover from Dan Jackson at the safety position while you don't have uh, Javon Ballard. He, he's still injured this week. He didn't play. So you, you got to see some new guys back there or guys that aren't playing every day. So then seeing him come in and getting some time and he makes an interception. That's huge. Number two, was Tyke Smith playing as well. And he was playing like his hair was on fire. I mean, that man was also making tackles behind the line of scrimmage, helping in the run game, making diving pass breakup opportunities, and then getting in an interception himself late in the game on the sideline, which a very difficult interception. So I, I think there's a lot to take away. Uh, another one late in that game is Jordan Hall. I don't know if you noticed, he had a quarterback pressure that led to an incompletion as well on a big, I think it was a third down. It was a, a late in the game situation where the game was still on the line and he was out there making a difference, getting pressure. And then, like you said, Michael Williams is just, I mean, absolutely embarrassing tackles left and right and just blowing by them all the time. Like it, it, it's really, really hard for him to get stopped. Yeah, I think Georgia's gotten really creative with how they use Michael Williams. He's not just coming off the edge every time. You know, sometimes I'll do a stunt with him and he's coming up A gap or B gap. They've done a tremendous job using him and moving him around to kind of keep an offensive line. You're always having to figure out, hey, where's 13? You mentioned Jordan Hall. I believe he has the most snaps on the defensive line. He has been on the field a lot this season. That's great for a true freshman because I think you're going to need someone like him down the stretch. So getting him experience now in these front end games, that's going to be crucial down as we move on, I think Zion Logue, Nazir Stackhouse, and Warren Brinson, they've continued to be the, the veteran guys in that room. And I think they all three of them have played a meet, have played um pretty solid throughout these first couple of weeks. 
And then, yeah, that secondary, Tyke Smith continues to be extremely valuable to the secondary. I think he's yeah. kind of showing just what Georgia has missed over these past couple of years with him he injured. He's starting and- to look like the All-American that yes. he was at West Virginia. He is now, yeah. like you were just talking about, the injuries. His first season, he came in, he was hurt right away. Second season, he hurt his foot and missed basically the whole season uh, on that one. And he's finally healthy this year, and he is looking like the player that Georgia wanted when they got him to transfer in the first place from West Virginia. He looks like an All-American safety slash star this year. Yeah, and then Kamari Lester, I mean, a greased-up hog wasn't getting through his tackles on Saturday. That that dude yeah. was lighting people up in the backfield. I mean, as soon as they caught it, three was there to give an answer, and he, he played a tremendous football game. And I think he played like a first-round talent like a lot of people think he is at, at defensive back, and that's a guy that we knew was going to have to step up this year with a new a new face being opposite side of him at the second cornerback position. And with Dalen Everett, I will say I think that he's played pretty solid. You know, some people were kind of questioning him a little bit this past weekend. But Georgia played a lot of zones, something that they typically don't do a lot, actually, in the second half. And oftentimes when a team does play zone defensively, it can make players look a lot worse than it actually was because you don't know exactly like, hey, where their assignment was, where are they supposed to be at? Maybe that wasn't his void to fill. So I wouldn't just be too quick to judge Dalen Everett on his performance today. I think he has done a, a pretty solid job at picking up that spot and helping out the second. Secondary, but I think that this secondary is probably one of the best units in all of college football. I knew that yeah. their ceiling was going to be high this year, but with Malachi Starks, when Bullard is back and he's healthy, I mean, there's just there's not much you can do against that secondary. They have an answer for everything. They have so many athletes all over the field. I mean, Malachi Starks is a sophomore, is arguably one of the best players in all of college football. So he's an all-American safety for gotta sure. Gotta love this defense, man. You definitely do. And when you're talking about that secondary as a whole, right now they don't have Bullard. And so that's a little bit of a step back in that aspect because Bullard is also an all-American safety right now. Like he is at that same level. So Mm -hmm. when he comes out, that's no shade thrown towards Dan Jackson. Like I said, he had a pick and he played an overall good game on Saturday. But there's a big difference between Javon Bullard and, and, you know, Dan Jackson at that safety position. So, and when you're going up against a South Carolina who has good weapons at wide receiver and likes to stretch the ball down the field because they have Spencer Rattler, it makes a little bit of a difference in that aspect. But I think overall they performed well. But with Bullard being out this week, I would assume they probably don't push him to play much next week just to give him a little bit more time because, like you said, you're playing UAB. You you have a little bit of time to let him rest and not not be pushed back into action. I would think that if they're gonna if he's gonna come back soon. It, They'll probably try to get him back for the Auburn game because it's another game that, you know, it's an SEC opponent. You you need your secondary to be as good as it is. Um, but overall, the defense, like I said, played extremely well. But that front seven, those those outside linebackers, even inside linebackers, and then that defensive line, they were getting so much pressure on Rattler. They were sacking up sacks from, you know, different defensive linemen were getting sacks. All of them were essentially getting a quarterback pressure or even a knockdown at times. Uh, your outside linebackers with M- Michael Williams getting sacks. Uh, JDJ Jamon, uh, Johnson, he he got a, a a nice little sack in there as well. Like so, your inside linebackers firing through and getting a play. Chaz Chambliss was making plays, getting quarterback pressures. Like it, it's from top to bottom on that defense. Honestly, everyone was playing well. Yeah, sure, there was a couple plays that were given up, uh, and, and I think Dan Jackson missed that tackle on that third and fifteen screenplay. They got that touchdown on uh, on the first drive. He, he kind of took a bad angle and missed. So there's going to be some mistakes here and there. But at the same time, that's fine. When you only give up 14 points in a game to an SEC opponent, you can live with that. 
Yeah, I mean, you never see Georgia give up a first down on third and long like they did on that first drive for South Carolina. So I wasn't fret about that. Um, for Javon Ballard on Saturday against UAB, I think the only way he plays is maybe you give him the first two series because I think he wanted to play on Saturday. I think he wanted think to play against did. South Carolina. He dressed out. He dressed out. He was in warmups. He was acting like he was going to play. And I think eventually when game time rolled around, they're like, bro, just stand on the sideline and cheer on your team and let's get you ready for Auburn. Like, do not do this to yourself. So if he is ready to play by Saturday and he just really wants to play, I think they'll let him because you're not – I mean, heck, a guy like Javon, if he wants to play, go let him play for a couple of series and then get him out and get that team ready to go play against Auburn. So I think that's what you might see from him. But otherwise, yeah, you're probably right. You probably will not see him again this week, as you will most guys that took an injury or came off the field on Saturday. Anybody kind of nursing an injury this week, just leave him on the sidelines and prepare him to fight for another day. So – Excited to see, though, like I said, kind of what George is able to build off of this week against UAB. And more importantly, see if the offense can finally just open up in the first quarter because you know you're going to get limited opportunities in the first half. So let's see you take advantage of one of those. And yeah, drive you might only get one off. drive in the first quarter again. So that's that's the thing that I think people aren't really paying attention to as a season has gone on in general is that first quarter, especially second quarter seems to stretch out a little bit longer because like once you get into the last couple of minutes, it, it, you get more pass plays, you get more stoppage of time, that kind of thing. But that first quarter, especially with a team like Georgia, Georgia likes to have a long first drive. And when you run the ball well early on or or you're throwing those screen plays with the extension of the run and you're not throwing a lot of incompletions because both Spencer Rattler and uh, Carson Beck weren't throwing a lot of incompletions in in that first half in general. They were both throwing. And even though Carson wasn't getting a lot of yardage, he was completing passes. So that means the clock continues to roll. And keeps going. So that's something that you're going to just see. when If Georgia doesn't score in the first quarter the rest of the season, don't freak out because they probably only had the ball one time, maybe a second time, maybe a second time in, in, the, in the same quarter. So it, it's something that, yeah, you want to see them score on their opening drive because a lot of guys talk about the opening drive being kind of scripted. But I think that's part of why it runs out so much. It is scripted. It is like they they know what offense they want to run on that first possession. They know the type of plays they want to run. They're going to chew the clock at the same time because Georgia likes to do that. And just know that in the first quarter, if you don't see points on the board or you only see three or maybe seven, it's probably because of a lack of opportunity, honestly. Yeah, and I think that's what you'll see teams kind of adjust to um, as the season progresses because, you know, as the season goes on, you see teams kind of adjust themselves and kind of adapt to the game of football. I think that's one thing teams are going to start adapting to is knowing that the first half you're going to have limited opportunities. That's just the reality now. So you need to make sure that you take advantage of your opportunities in the first half and make sure that you are putting the points you are putting points on the board and you have the ball in your hands. So I think that's one thing you might see teams improve upon, specifically Georgia. I think you'll start seeing them put together better first drives and be prepared for that, knowing that this may be one of two opportunities in the first half that you get with the ball. So I'm interested to see that, interested to see how Georgia plays against UAB, as I'm sure everybody else is. Um, You got anything else to add, Stoddard? Nope, I'm good. He's shaking his head no, so we're going to keep on going with the outro. Like and subscribe if you haven't already. Saw some new faces in the comments. We appreciate you guys for being here. If you if you haven't subscribed already, then you should do so. We are here every day at Sunday, 8 p.m., immediate reaction from the game on Saturday. I think it's a great opportunity for everybody. Just come into the comments like a lot of you guys did. Express your emotions from the football game. We'll kind of talk about it, add on to the conversation. We love seeing you guys add in your thoughts and opinions from what you saw on Saturday. Join in on the conversation. That's what I said on Twitter today. I literally mean that. Come join in on the conversation with us. Get in the comment section and support us because we appreciate you guys for being here with us. Um, 
Like and subscribe, like I said already. If you haven't already, do all that good stuff, and we will see you guys next week. Stoddard, you can close us out. As always, keep it classy in the Classic City. We will see you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Classic City Sports. Take a second to subscribe, rate, review, and share with your friends and family. Feel free to reach out to the Classic City Sports crew on Twitter with any topics you'd like discussed. You can reach out to Jeremiah at the Stodfather, to Jonathan at Dr. Underscore J. Will, and make sure to follow at Classic City Pod for show updates. Check back next week for a brand new episode. In the meantime...